Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. Okay, we're on a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket, book the sixth, the Ursatz Elevator, and we're on chapter 13, the last chapter, and we're diving into it because we want to find what, what's in there. These are dollies, Violet cried, a box full of dollies. And that was true. Scattered around the stage, spilling out were the remains of the cardboard box. They were hundreds and hundreds of small round napkins with strip of lace around them, the sort of napkins that you might use to decorate a plate of cookies at a fancy tea party of course the of course the man in sunglasses said he approached the stage and removed his sunglasses and the Baudelaire's could see that it wasn't one of Gunther's associates at all he was just a bitter a pen in a pinstripe suit I was going to give them to my brother for a birthday present they're very fancy dollies what uh, what else could VFD stand for Yes, Gunther said at the smiling children. What else could it stand for, please? I don't know, Violet said, but the Quagmires didn't find out a secret about fancy napkins. Where have you put them, Olaf? What is Olaf, please? Gunther said. Now, Violet, Jerome said, we agreed that we wouldn't argue about Gunther anymore. Please excuse these children, Gunther. I must, I think they must be ill. We're not ill, Klaus cried. We've been tricked. This box is full of dollies. This box full of dollies was a red herring. But the red herring was lot number 48, someone said in the crowd. Children, I'm very disturbed by your behavior, Mr. Poe said. You look like you haven't washed in a week and you're spending your money on ridiculous items, running around accusing everybody of being Count Olaf in disguise. And now you've made a big mess of dollies on the floor. Someone is likely to trip and fall in these slippery napkins. I would have thought that the squalors would be raising you better than this. Well... We're, we're, well, we're not going to raise them any more, Esme said, not after they've made such a spectacle of themselves. Mr. Poe, I want these terrible children placed out of my care. It is not worth it to have orphans, even if they're in. Esme, Jerome cried, they're, they lost their parents. What else, where else can they go? Don't argue with me, Esme snapped, and I'll tell you where they can go. They can, with me, Gunther said, and placed one of his scraggly hands on Violet's shoulder. Violet remembered when this treacherous villain had plotted to marry her and shuddered underneath his greedy fingers. I am loving of children. I would be happy, please, to raise three children of my own. He put his other hand, his other scraggly hand on Klaus's shoulder and then stepped forward as if he was going to put one of his boots onto Sonny's shoulder or all three, or on all three Baudelaire's so they would be locked in a sinister embrace. But Gunther's foot did not land on Sonny's shoulder. It landed on a dolly. And in a second, Mr. Poe's prediction that somebody would trip came true. With a papery thump, Gunther was suddenly on the ground, his arms flailing wildly with the dollies and his legs flailing madly on the floor of the stage. Please, he shouted as he hit the ground, but his wiggling limbs only made him slip more. The dollies began to spread across the stage and fall on the floor of Veblen Hall. The Baudelaire's watched their fancy napkins flutter around them, making flimsy, whispering sounds as they fell. But 
They then had to hear two weighty sounds, one after the other, as if Gunther's fall made it something heavier fall on the floor. When they turned their heads to follow the sound of Gunther's boot lying on the floor, one at Jerome's feet and one at Mr. Poe's, Please, Gunther shouted again as he struggled to stand up. But when they finally got to his feet, everyone else in the room was looking at them. Look, the man said, who had been wearing his sunglasses. The auctioneer wasn't really wearing, wasn't wearing any socks. That's not very polite. And look, someone else said, he has a dolly stuck between his toes. That's not very comfortable. And look, Jerome, Jerome said, he has a tattoo of an eye on his ankle. He's not Gunther. He's not an auctioneer, Mr. Poe cried. He's not even a foreigner. He's Count Olaf. He's more than Count Olaf, Esme said, walking slowly towards this terrible villain. He's a genius, and he's a wonderful acting teacher, and he's the handsomest, innocent man in town. Don't be absurd, Jerome said. Ruthless kidnapping villains aren't in. You're right, said Count Olaf, and what a relief it is to call him by his proper name. Olaf tossed tossed away his monocle and put his arm around Esme. We're not in. We're out. Out of this city. Come on, Esme. With a shriek of laughter, Olaf took Esme's hand and they leapt from the stage, elbows aside in the crowd, and began running towards the exit. They're escaping, Violet cried, jumped and jumped off stage to chase after them. Klaus and Sunny followed her as fast as their legs could carry them, but Olaf and Esme had no had longer legs and which case this was just an unfair advantage as the element of surprise would go. By the time both the Baudelaire's had run to the banner with Gunther's face on it, Olaf and Esme had reached the banner with the word auction printed on it, and by the time the children reached that banner, the two villains had passed the inn award-winning door, passed the inn banner and through the award-winning door of Bedlin Hall. Egad, Mr. Poe cried. We can't let that dreadful man escape with this for the sixth time. After him, everyone, that man is wanted for a wide variety of violent and financial crimes. And the, the crowd sprang into action and began chasing Olaf and Esme, as you may choose to believe as his story nears conclusion. That with so many people chasing after that wretched villain, it would be impossible for him to make, him, him to make an escape. You may wish to close this book without finishing and imagine that Olaf and Esme were captured and that the quagmire triplets were rescued and that the true meaning of VFD was discovered and that the mystery of the secret hall was ruined by the boat was to be ruined. Wait, the secret hallway to the ruined Baudelaire mansion was solved and that everyone held a held a delightful picnic to celebrate all of this good fortune and that were enough and that there was enough ice cream sandwiches to go around. I certainly wouldn't blame you for imagining these things because I imagine them all the time. Late at night, when even the map even the map of the city can comfort me, I close my eyes and imagine all those happy, comforting things surrounding the Baudelaire children's instead of all of those dollies that surrounded them and brought yet another scoop of misfortune into their lives. Because when Count Olaf and Esme Squalor flung the door open of Veblen Hall, they let in an afternoon breeze that made all of the fancy dollies flutter all over the Baudelaire's heads and then settle back down on the floors behind them. In one slippery moment, the entire crowd was falling all over one another in a papery pinstripe blur. Mr. Poe fell on Jerome. Jerome fell on the man who had been wearing the sunglasses. 
and his sunglasses fell on the woman who had who had bid highest on lot number 47. That woman dropped her chocolate ballet slippers and fell on Count Olaf's boot, and these boots fell on three more dollies that made four more people slip and fall on one another, and the entire crowd was in a hopeless tangle. What was that? Okay, I listened to too many crime podcasts because that scared me, but it was just something dropping in the room, and I swear it sounded like it was coming from outside, but <laughs> where were we? Um, but the Baudelaire's did not even glance back to see the latest grief of, that the Dollies had caused. They kept their eyes on the pair of some loathsome people who were running down the steps of Veblen Hall towards the black pickup truck. Behind the wheel of the pickup truck was the doorman who had finally done the sensible thing and rolled up his oversized sleeve. But that must have been a difficult task for as the children gazed into the truck, they caught a glimpse of the two hooks that were the doorman's hands, or where they should have been. The hook-handed man, Klaus cried. He was right about he was right under our noses this entire time. And Count Olaf turned to sneer at the children as he reached the pickup truck. He might have been right under your noses, he snarled, but he will be he will be at your throats. I'll be back, Baudelaire. Soon the Quagmire Sapphire will be mine, but I haven't forgotten about your fortune. Gnope, Sunny shrieked, and Violet was quick to translate. Where are the, where's Duncan and Isadora, she said. Where have you taken them? Olaf and Esme looked at one another and burst into laughter as they slipped into the black truck. Esme jerked the long-nailed thumb towards the flatbed, which is the word here, which is a word here for the back part of the pickup truck, where she stored, where things she stored. We used the two, we used the two red herrings to fool you, she said. As the truck's engine reared to life, the children could see that the back of the truck, the big, big red herring that said lot number forty-eight in the auction, the Quagmires, Klaus cried olaf has them trapped inside of that statue the orphans race down to the top to the steps of race down the steps of the hall and once again you may find it more pleasant to put down this book and close your eyes and imagine a better ending to this tale than the other one that i must write you you may imagine for instance that <laughs> that the baudelaire's reached the truck and they heard the sound of the engine stalling instead of tooting the horn as they as the hook-handed man drove his bosses away you may even imagine that the children heard the sounds of the quagmires escaping the statue from the herring instead of the word toodaloo coming from esme's villainous mouth and you may imagine that the sound of police sirens as soon as count olaf was caught at last instead of the weeping baudelaire orphans at the back of the truck as he rounded the corner and disappeared from the view. But your imagination would be ersatz because all imagining because as all imaginings are, they are as untrue as the ersatz auctioneer who found the Baudelaire's at the squalor's penthouse and the ersatz elevator outside of the door, out of the front door of the ersatz guardians who pushed them down the deep dark pit of elevator shaft. Esme hid her evil plan behind her reputation as the city's sixth most important financial advisor, and Count Olaf hid his identity behind the monocle and some black boots and the dark passageway that hid that hid its secrets behind a pair of sliding elevator doors. But as much as it pains me to tell you that the Baudelaire orphans stood on the steps of Veblen Hall, oops, what is that word? 
weeping with anguish and frustration as Count Olaf rode away with the quagmire triplets, I cannot hide the unfortunate truth about the Baudelaire's lives behind an ersatz happy ending. The Baudelaire orphans stood on the steps of Veblen Hall, weeping with anguish and frustration as Count Olaf rode away with the quagmire triplets, and the sight of Mr. Poe emerging from the award-winning door with a dolly in his hair took a look of panic in his eye and only made them weep harder. I'll call the police, Mr. Poe said, and they'll capture Count Olaf in no time. But as the Baudelaire's knew this statement was ersatz as Gunther's improper English, they knew that Olaf was far too clever to be captured by the police. And I'm sorry to say, by the time that the two detectives found the big pickup truck abandoned outside the St. Carl's Cathedral with the motor still running, Olaf had already transferred the quagmires from the red herring to a shiny black instrument case, which he told the bus drivers was a tuba, and he was bringing them to his aunt. The three siblings watched Mr. Poe scurry back into the Veblen Hall to ask members of the in crowd where he could find a phone booth, and they knew that the banker wasn't going to be of any help. I think Mr. Poe will be a great deal of help, Jerome said, as he walked out of Veblen Hall and sat down in the steps to try and comfort the children. He's going to call the police, and he is going to give them a description of Olaf. But Olaf is in a disguise, Violet said, miserably wiping her eyes. You never know what he's going to look like when you see him. Well, I'm going to make sure that you never see him again, Jerome promised. Esme may have left, but I'm not going to argue with her. Oh, and I'm not going to argue with her, but I'm still your guardian, and I'm going to take you far, far away from here, so far away that you'll forget all about this Count Olaf and the Quagmires and everything else. Forget about Olaf? Klaus continued. How can we forget about him? We'll never forget about his treachery, no matter where we live. And we'll never forget about the Quagmires, either, Violet said. I don't want to forget about them. We have to figure out where he's taking our friends and how to rescue them. Turkle, Sunny said, which meant something along the lines of, and we don't want to forget about everything else, either, like the underground hallway that led to our ruined mansion and the real meaning of VFD. My sister's right, Klaus said. We have to track down Olaf and learn the secret that he's keeping from us. We're not going to track down Olaf, Jerome said, shuddering at the thought. We'll be lucky if he doesn't track us down. As your guardian, I cannot allow you to find such a dangerous man. Wouldn't you rather live safely with me? Yes, Violet admitted, but our friends are in grave danger, and we must go rescue them. Well, I don't want to argue, Jerome said. If you've made your mind up, then you've made your mind up, and I will tell Mr. Foe to poe to find you a different guardian you mean you won't help us klaus asked jerome sighed and kissed each baudelaire on the forehead you children are very dear to me he said but i don't have your courage your mother always said i your mother always said i wasn't brave enough and i guess she was right good luck baudelaires i think that you'll need it the children watched in, am in amazement as jerome walked away not even looking back at the three orphans he was leaving behind they found their eyes brimming with tears once more as they watched him disappear from sight. They would never see the squalor penthouse again or spend another night in the bedroom or spend another moment in an oversized pinstripe suit. Though he was not as dastardly as Esme or Count Olaf or the hook-handed man, Jerome was still an ersatz guardian because a real guardian is supposed to provide a home with a place to sleep and something to wear and all Jerome gave them at the end was good luck. Jerome reached the end of the block and turned left, and the Baudelaires were once again alone in the world. Violet sighed and stared down at the street in the direction of, that Olaf had escaped. 
I hope that my inventing skills don't fail me, she said, because we're going to need more than good luck to rescue the quagmire triplets. Klaus sighed and stared down the street in the direction of the ashy remains of their first home. I hope my research skills don't fail me, he said, because we're going to need more than luck to solve this mystery of the hallway and the Baudelaire mansion. Sunny sighed and waited as lone doily as a lone doily blew, blew down the stairs. Bite, she said, as she meant that she hoped her teeth wouldn't fail her because they didn't need any more good luck to discover what V what VFD really stood for. The Baudelaire's looked at one another with faint smiles, and they were smiling because they didn't think that Violet's invention would fail, any more than Klaus's research would fail or Sonny's teeth would fail. But the children also knew that they wouldn't fail each other, as Jerome had failed them, and as Mr. Poe had is was failing them now, and how he dialed the as he dialed the wrong number was talking to the Vietnamese restaurant instead of the police. No matter how many misfortunes had been had befallen them, and no matter how many ersatz things would happen, would in, would encounter in the future, the Baudelaire orphans knew that they could rely on each other for the rest of their lives, and this at least felt like one thing in the world that was true. Oh, and Peyton is asleep. She ditched us. She's sleeping. Are you asleep, Peyton? Yep. Not even a response. Oh well. <laughs> 